How many of you, having been stopped by a policeman uh, and being asked, is there a reason for you to be going as fast as you are, have been able to, out of your creative mind, come up with one that perhaps was sort of true, but uh, you were really just coming up with it? It's a pretty tempting thing to do when he gives you that out. Can you give me a reason as to why you're going this fast? Well, yeah, I give you a reason but maybe I'm not sure how legitimate it is. It's real tempting when given a hole, so to speak, in the system to be able to try to take advantage of that. I recently came across some, uh, uh, some statements that were made off insurance forms as to why people ought to be not liable to, their, uh, uh, to pay the insurance. And one of my favorite ones was where this guy says, uh, before, the accident, before the accident was about to happen, I glanced over and took one look at my mother-in-law and headed for the embankment. There was another one where the guy says, I was on the way to my doctor with a rear end trouble when my universal joint gave way and I had an accident. Uh, it's funny how these folks come up with all these reasons as to why they shouldn't pay their insurance or be responsible or liable in their accident. I think all of us uh, struggle at times when the system gives us legitimate outs or, or let's say the, the system has holes and potential for getting out of something. Uh, to take advantage of it and even to really compromise rather than to say, look, I'm going to stick, I'm going to let the system, use the system to the degree that it's lawful. For example, like on the income tax returns. You know, how much am I going to push these deductions to the point of being, losing my integrity as, as opposed to taking every single one you can, and I tell you what, I'm, I'm not shy at all about this. If law let me deduct uh, stuff, then I'm going to deduct it to, the, to every penny that I can. But to go beyond that, I think, is what we want to be real careful of. Taking advantage of the system as opposed to being shrewd and using the legal ways that the world has given us for our advantage. Well, Joseph is a great example of one today who is shrewd for the benefit, not just financially of his nation, but also spiritually. And he gives us a great illustration of how we too can be shrewd in dealing with the world. Let's look at this, Genesis chapter 46. And when you see Rodney Wells today, you want to give him a big hug for turning our lights on. I don't know if you noticed if it's any brighter in here, but uh, he was able to help us yesterday on our work day, and we're grateful to him. We want you to be able to actually read your Bibles when you bring them. So, Genesis chapter 46, starting verse 31. Joseph's family has moved from Canaan to Egypt, and Joseph, being the prime minister, basically, of Egypt, is providing for his family, and they have just moved there, and as they're about to go before Pharaoh, the king of the land, Joseph prepares his family as to what to say before he act, they actually go into Pharaoh's presence. Genesis 46, starting in verse 
31. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I'll go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their, brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come about when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? That you shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers. Here's the reason. That you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. So you see, Joseph is shrewd here. They could have probably claimed several occupations, but he tells them to claim that of shepherd because to an Egyptian, a shepherd is loathsome. They didn't like them. And this enabled them to live separately, apart from the idolatrous influence of the Egyptians, in the land of Goshen. And so after he prepares his family to meet Pharaoh, now, starting in chapter 47, Joseph presents his family to Pharaoh. Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land. For there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you, the land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. And Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Joseph. Uh, sorry, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many years have you lived? So Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my sojourning are one hundred and thirty. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. This old man, Jacob, comes before Pharaoh and the first question that Pharaoh asks is, How old are you? He says he's 130. He must have looked really old for Pharaoh to ask him this question. And I think that his answer is an interesting one. He says his days have been few and unpleasant. And literally, few and evil. The statement probably would have made his, the brothers who were there, who were present, kind of hang their heads, knowing that they had been uh, contributors in the father's pain. But most of Jacob's trouble had come upon himself. If you look at the life of Jacob, you see primarily a very selfish person. Most of the trouble that has come about in his life has been because of his own compromising. When you have a selfish attitude, and primarily your attitude is, what can I get? You're going to be real blind, as Jacob was, to all of the good things that God has done in your life. You look back through Jacob's life, and you and I both could read through Genesis and pick out some wonderful blessings that God had given Jacob, not the least of which, that he was uh, the one through whom God would bless the whole world, we're told. He blessed 
Pharaoh here, his descendants, through his descendants come the Lord Jesus, through whom the world is blessed. And yet when we're so focused on ourself, we're going to look at our lives and basically say that they were bad. You ask, how was your day? Well, it was a bad day. How was your week? Well, it was a bad week. How was your life? Well, it was a bad life. All of us have got good and bad in our lives. And Jacob, with the selfish motive, is going to see the bad. You look at Joseph, on the other hand, went through pain just as great as his dad, and maybe even greater because the pain wasn't his own doing. The, the injustice was, uh, was there. And yet, you see, we're going to see his attitude at the end of Genesis, just a few more chapters. He says, though you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. He was able to look back at the end of his life and say, yeah, there's been evil, but I summarize it as good. Jacob, on the other hand, summarized it as being bad. And I think that's because Joseph applied the theology that he knew, that God is sovereign. And even the bad things that happen in our lives, God allows to happen for a good reason. He, he uses even the evil in our lives for good. So rather than being and looking at yourself in selfishness like Jacob and focusing and if things don't go my way today, then you summarize the bad day. Well, things aren't always going to go your way. And if they have to go your way in order for you to have a good day, then you're not, or a good week, or a good life. But if you can look at it with the attitude of Joseph, that even though things don't go your way, in God's sovereignty, they are going your way, then you can summarize your life and your day as a good one. So having secured a good place for his nation, for Israel and the land of Egypt, now in verse 11, Joseph begins to provide for his family. The whole reason for moving them down there. Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them possession in the land of Egypt, the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had ordered. Then Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to their little ones. And you see in verse 13 as well, not only did Joseph provide for Israel, for his family, but he also provided for Egypt. There was no food in all the land because the famine was very severe so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? For our money is gone. And Joseph said, Give up your livestock and I will give you food for your livestock since your money is gone. The text goes on to say down through the next few verses that Joseph isn't willing to just hand out food but he trades them. He trades them their livestock as we see in their money. Eventually he trades them their land and then he trades them uh, basically their own labor. Let's them continue to live on their land and to work for their, their food. And their summary is that you have saved our lives. So Joseph, because he's shrewd, is able to benefit everybody. And now I'd like to talk a little bit about how this text, this chapter that we basically just read through, the first part of it here, how can it can apply to us. Because Joseph is a great example of how he has tamed himself to be shrewd. 
The first thing I'd like to point out, see by example the text teaches us, is that believers should be shrewd with authorities so as to benefit God's work. We read that, he, that when Pharaoh calls you, Joseph says, and asks, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have become keepers of livestock. He was shrewd. We talked about that because it kept them separate. And as a result of that, verse 27 tells us, Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. So God's intentional plan for that nation to go down there and to preserve them and to grow into the great nation that he promised that they'd be happened because Joseph was shrewd. Now I want to show you a brief film clip from Corey Ten Boom's movie, uh, The Hiding Place. And in it we're going to see a scene where they go in and they find... Uh, that there are lice in, in the concentration camp that they're put in. There's lice in their bunks. And Corey Timboon can't understand or be grateful uh, for the lice. Can't understand why the Lord would allow that to happen. And we're going to see, as your sister says, God doesn't make mistakes. And they find out the reason that God allowed the lice. So let's look at that real quick. Thank you, Lord. I didn't expect thanks for this. It's warm. I'm thankful for every moment we can be together. We can at least lie down tonight. There has to be a plan, Corey. I won't be grateful for the lies. God doesn't make mistakes. How is it, Exa Hospital? Is it true your temperature has to be over 104 to be admitted? That's the rule. There's a guard in the laundry who can get underwear for a price. What does she want? Red rations. Oh, don't cut too much. What do you want? Hair or lice? You'll learn to love the little darlings. The guards won't step foot in this lice pit. Past the door, we can do anything. Even lice. <clears throat> come to find out, as they said, that the guards wouldn't come in there because of the lice, and so they were free to talk about the Lord Jesus for all of those women. They're free to hold Bible studies and to do things in there that the Nazis would not have approved of, but they didn't, they didn't go in there. And so, in, in a sense, the same way that Corrie ten Boom and her sister, because of the lice, they were um, abominable, you might say, to the Nazis, the Jews here, as shepherds, were abominable to the Egyptians. And so the Egyptians kept their hands off, so to speak, and allowed Israel to stay as a nation together and to grow together as a nation to fulfill God's plan for them and enabled them to multiply. You want to be shrewd with the way that you deal with authorities so as to benefit God's work. One of our last days in Russia, uh, we were told... I think it was like the day or so before we left, we were told that one of the authorities, the local religion authority, basically, 
we had not checked in with them and they wanted to talk to us the next day and I mean here we had been there the whole week long and doing our thing uh, talking to people about the Lord but we hadn't checked in with this authority we didn't know we had to so I went up there uh, with Lisa and uh, two interpreters Lisa is a, a full-time missionary staff with Global Mission Fellowship we went up there to talk to this lady come to find out I found out it was a lady Lisa looked at me and she said turn on the charm and I thought you know, how in the world am I going to charm uh, an elderly Russian woman who's angry with us? And so we got in there, and uh, I mean, I didn't turn on any charm, so to speak, uh, but I, w I just tried to be real gracious. I thanked her for graciously meeting with us and for letting us know that we needed to check in with her. I apologized over and over. I said, we didn't know that we needed to come check in with you. We turned in our visas to the police. And uh, she asked us, and this was a real critical question, she said, what church invited you to come here? And, uh, and that's a critical question because in Russia they have a new law, or new, you know, as of quite a few months ago now, that if the church is less than 15 years old, it can either be shut down or it can be very heavily taxed, up to like 80%, I think, of their, uh, of their givings. And so we told them the church and, and our church, the church that invited us, uh, you know, was fine. There was no problem. As soon as she found that out, you could see the tension on her face leave. And right after that, Lisa asks her, and remember the whole time we're having to talk through interpreters, Lisa asked her, so you mean that new law doesn't affect uh, American missionaries just coming in and talking to people about Christ? And I before the interpreter could interpret that, I quickly jumped in and so that the, the official lady, she couldn't understand, obviously she couldn't understand what we were saying, but I didn't want to give way that there was concern, so I just kind of smiled at Lisa and I said, we don't need to ask that. Everything's fine now. She's going to let us go. And, uh, and so quickly Lisa got out the couple of gifts that we had brought for her, one of which was the, uh, a dozen plastic Easter eggs, and because it was Easter at that time, and we would use those eggs to minister to the little kids there. And we'd open the eggs up and each egg had a successive part of the story of Jesus' uh, death about the Easter story. And of course, the, and Lisa got to go through this with this Russian official, the last one of which she opened, of course, and is a, an empty egg, emphasizing the empty tomb. And so I just think it was neat how the Lord enabled us uh, through the hindrance, you might say, of interpreters to be able to not stir up a hornet's nest, for one thing. And another thing, by virtue of, of the problem of our having to go there and looking like we were going to be in trouble, being able to share the gospel with this Russian official. And who knows what kind of seeds that that will plant. You see, all the way through history, God has used his people to influence unbelieving rulers, being shrewd with those rulers in order to benefit God's work. You see Joseph doing this with Pharaoh. Down through the history of Israel, you see Esther doing it with Xerxes. You see Nehemiah doing it with Artaxerxes. In our day, you see Billy Graham doing it with some of our presidents and to a much smaller degree with what we were able to do in Russia and able to be shrewd with those authorities so as to most benefit God's work. And we recognize that 
as the Bible teaches us, that all authority ultimately is ruled by God. And we are told to pray that they will recognize that. Not just that we'll recognize that, but that they will. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy, First of all, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, particularly for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I have been asked a couple times to lead, uh, they call it the invocation, it's really a prayer, before the commissioner's court, uh, which meets right across the street in the courthouse. And I always want to accept that invitation because it's a wonderful opportunity not only to fulfill the scripture in a public sense, to pray for the authorities in front of the authorities, but also to give a little 60-second sermon in my prayer to these authorities. To be able to share with them that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, for all of our sins. And that by faith in the Lord Jesus, your sins can be forgiven. Always try to include that. And always try to include a reminder that they are ministers of God for the good of Denton County just like I am. In, in, in every sense that I am, they are too ministers of God for the good of Denton. Just like I am I'm to be that. When Jacob came in before Pharaoh, coming in and going out, it says that he blessed Pharaoh. Taking the opportunity to do what the Bible says and to pray for our authorities. But we're not just to do it publicly. It's something that we're to be doing privately too. To be in prayer for our authorities, whether they know the Lord, whether they don't. Pray for our president. Pray for our vice president. Pray for the Congress and our representatives. Pray for Governor Bush. Pray for the local authorities that we have here. And what is our purpose for praying for them? That we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And that doesn't mean that we're praying that they will leave us alone so much. We are praying for the purpose of having the kind of life that will enable us to tell people about the Lord Jesus. Praying that the government will allow us to freely talk about Jesus Christ. You know, in Russia, we had more freedom to go into public schools and to share the gospel than we have here in America. We are to, to pray that we be able to have a freedom to share the gospel. We are not to pray that the government gives us a life of ease. That's not what the tranquil and quiet life is all about. But rather, it enables us to be able to freely share Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you have been noticing or look at, looked at American history much, but over the last couple hundred years, from where our, what our government has begun to allow as to what our government now allows regarding our being able to share the gospel, it's getting less and less. It's not getting more and more, which ought to incite us to be more faithful to pray that our freedom to share the gospel is not taken away from us, because it very easily could be. And secondly, this strikes a little closer to home. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 10, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. You know, the world looks at Christians as abominable. And sometimes when we pray that the government may let us 
share the Lord freely. That may include us having lice in our bunks, so to speak. It may include some inconveniences. In God's sovereignty, he may use lice or he may use, I don't mean lice, but I mean, you know, some kind of a, a personal discomfort that enables us to be considered by the world abominable or some kind of characteristic about us as believers that the world looks at us as abominable and they will stay out of our way that we are free to share Jesus Christ. And to a great extent, the world already does look at us that way. Jesus made the statement uh, one time that the world hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. The world looks at us the same way because we're to say the same thing. Its deeds are evil, but we say that our deeds are evil too. The world would freely throw us to the lions if it could. But Jesus says, I send you out as sheep among wolves in a hostile environment and you are vulnerable lest it is I the one who are sending you. We are told to be shrewd as serpents. That means every single opportunity, every single hole that the government gives us to share the Lord, every legal opportunity we have we should take to be shrewd. In fact, in being shrewd, we work with the system and find out the ways that we're able lawfully to share the Lord Jesus. But we're also told to be innocent as doves, which brings us to the next point. That believers should be distinct from the world to maintain personal purity. We saw that they asked, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. They asked to be distinct and they asked to be separate. And here the New Testament gives us the exact same principle. In fact, here it is given as a command. I love the way the New Living Translation translates 2 Corinthians 6. It says, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can goodness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. The New International Version translates verse 14. It says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. The Old King James says, uh, Be ye not unequally yoked. I spoke to a Christian woman one time who was dead set on marrying an unbeliever and asked her if she understood what the Bible said about uh, being unequally yoked. In fact, the command of do not be unequally yoked. I asked her if she knew what unequally yoked meant. And she said, by her answer, she said that she didn't. She, uh, she thought it had something to do with eggs, with the yolk. And I don't say that to belittle her, but just to say that uh, many Christians have no idea what it means to be unequally yoked, to be yoked together with an unbeliever. You know what a yoke is? We don't really have an agricultural society that would be real familiar with this, but a yoke... Y-O-K-E, not Y-O-L-K, but Y-O-K-E, a yoke, is that piece of wood that straps the neck of two oxen together so that they're both walking side by side, pulling the load. To be unequal, they can do anything. So it turned out that it would look to be a bad deal how cruel it was that God let lice be in there with them. Well, it turns out the cruelty of God enabled them to share the gospel with those ladies because the guards wouldn't set foot in there. 
They were able to hold Bible studies and do things that the Nazis would never have approved of because God allowed lice. You kind of see the same thing with Joseph and how he said, he, he essentially told his brothers to say to Pharaoh, we have lice. Say to Pharaoh, we are shepherds because shepherds are abominable. If you were to look at Egyptian art, uh, Egyptian art shows shepherds to be dirty and nasty. And so Egyptians didn't want to be around them. Well, Joseph was shrewd and he used that to their benefit. He was shrewd with the authorities to benefit God's work. Well, how was God's work benefited? Well, the whole reason that they came down there, we saw last week, God told Jacob, you go down there and I'll make you into a great nation. We read in verse uh, 27, I believe it was, where it talked about the nation grew and multiplied to a, a, a great nation down there. Exactly what God desired. All because they were abominable. All because the Egyptians looked at them that way. One of our last days in Russia, we got a call basically that we were in trouble because we hadn't checked in with the local authorities there over all the religious affairs of the city. And we didn't know we needed to. Obviously, we'd have done it. And so I was asked to go with one of the GMF the Global Mission Fellowship staff named Lisa and we took a couple of interpreters and went and met with this official to try to iron things out and uh, we found out that the official was a woman and so Lisa looks at me and she says turn on the charm and I thought Lisa how am I going to charm an elderly Russian woman who's mad at us <laughs> but anyway we went in and uh, sat down in front of her, and boy, I was just all smiles, and I told her, I said, so gracious of you to meet with us today. Thank you for your time, and I want you to know how sorry we are. We had no idea that we needed to come and check in with you. It's basically, we got on her turf. We needed to check in with the sheriff, is what it was. And I told her, we're so sorry. You know, we, we did check in with the police. We showed them our visas. We thought that's all we had to do. If we had known that we had to come and check in with you, we would have been glad to do it. Uh, and then she asked us a crucial question. She said, what church invited you to come? And that's crucial because there's an, uh, a recent law passed in Russia that uh, if a ministry, if a church there is less than 15 years, you're either very heavily taxed. I think it's like 80 or 90 percent of your earnings, the church's donations, the government takes. Or they just shut the church down altogether. And our church had been there for a long time, and so that wasn't a problem. And once she found out that we were legitimate, you know, this official kind of eased up a little bit. Well, then Lisa asks her, I mean, we, the law hadn't been mentioned at all yet. We just knew about it. And I knew what she was asking when she asked which church. And uh, Lisa brings the subject up. And, she, and remember, this whole time we're talking through interpreters, okay? And Lisa says, well... Asked the lady, so you mean this, this new law uh, doesn't affect American missionaries coming in and talking about Jesus? And before the interpreter could translate that, I said, Lisa, I tried to make it look like there's no problem here. Lisa, we don't need to ask her that question. Everything's fine now. We can leave. And with the face that everything is okay, and this lady doesn't know anything that I'm saying to you, we don't need to stir a mess to hornets. And so instead, Lisa showed her a bunch of uh, plastic Easter eggs we brought to this lady as a gift, showing what we had, uh, tools we used to minister to the children that week. 
And it was neat because in showing her the eggs, the eggs were basically uh, told the story of Easter and the last egg being empty with the empty tomb. And Lisa was able to go through and share with this Russian official the gospel, the good news that Jesus had died on the cross for her sins. And then if she believed, her sins would be forgiven. And I got to thinking, isn't it interesting how we got all stressed? Because, oh no, we're going to get in trouble. Isn't it interesting that God gave us the handicap of having to talk through interpreters when actually both of those things turned out for our benefit and we were able to be shrewd with the opportunity. The opportunity that looked like something uh, would actually be against us turned out to be for us and that with the, the Russian official of that city we were able to share the gospel. And I think that uh, was a wonderful opportunity to apply basically this principle, to be shrewd with authority so as to benefit God's work. God has always used people to influence unbelieving leaders, unbelieving government officials all throughout history. Did it with Joseph and Pharaoh. Did it with Nehemiah later on in the Bible and King Xerxes. Uh, no, Esther with Xerxes and Nehemiah with his son, Artaxerxes. You see, uh, Billy Graham has done that with some of our uh, presidents. And to a very little degree, what we were able to do in Russia was the same thing. God is able to use his people to be shrewd with authorities to benefit the spread of the good news of Christ in the land. You say, well, how can I do that? You ask that. How can I do that? Well, one of the most wonderful ways to get inside the mind of the government, to get inside the mind of an official, is to pray for them. In fact, we're commanded in the Bible to do just that. 1 Timothy 2 says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made in behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. When Jacob stood in front of Pharaoh, I don't know if you noticed it, but when he went into Pharaoh, he blessed Pharaoh. When he left Pharaoh, he blessed Pharaoh. He blessed this unbelieving ruler that God might bless their work. I've been asked on a couple of occasions to give what's called the invocation. That's a, a prayer. At a, they don't call it prayer. They call it the invocation. At the uh, commissioner's court right across the street. And I always, if I can, try to accept that because... It's a wonderful opportunity to pray um, to pray publicly for our officials in front of our officials and also to slip in a few more things uh, in my prayer that I'd like to tell the officials. And most, most of the time I just uh, I always include the gospel that Jesus, thank you Lord for dying for our sins and thank you if we believe in you, we'll have our sins forgiven. But also giving them, kind of reminding them that there are the work that they're doing is every bit as critical as the work I'm doing. And we are both in the Bible called ministers of God. Romans 13 calls our government officials ministers of God for our good. And uh, I just I think it's so neat. And if you begin to look how many times God gives you the opportunity to be shrewd with even rulers. Certainly voting is a shrewd way to get involved. That we might place the rulers in our land who will most let us share the gospel and not hinder our work, but rather aid it. 
And that's the whole thing of what this prayer is about. It's not intended. We're not to pray for kings and all who are in authority in order that we may leave a lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. That tranquil and quiet life, we're not praying that God would give us no lice. The tranquility that we're requesting is the freedom to share the gospel because God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Praying for the government is not that we might have an easy life, but that we might have an easier time sharing the gospel. That's the purpose of praying for the government, and that they too might come to know the Lord Jesus. The ironic thing about a lot of times the answer to those prayers is that it might include lice. We might be considered abominable in the eyes of the world. In fact, honestly, we are. Jesus made a statement one time to his disciples. He said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. In a world that hates us, sheep among wolves, we're told to be shrewd. And yet at the same time, in your shrewdness, don't sin. And that brings us to the next point. That believers should be distinct from the world to maintain personal purity. They requested, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. We want to remain distinct. Joseph didn't want them to intermingle with the Egyptians and become just like the Egyptians, but to live in Goshen, that the nation of Egypt might grow up and perpetuate itself. We have the exact same principle taught us in the New Testament. I love the way the New Living Translation translates 2 Corinthians 6. It says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can goodness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union has there between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. The New International Version translates it, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. The old King James says, Be ye not unequally yoked. There was a Christian woman one time who was, asked, who was dead set on marrying an unbeliever. And I asked her uh, if she understood what the Bible meant when it commands Christians not to be unequally yoked. She said she didn't really know. She thought maybe it had something to do with eggs. And, uh, and I say that not to belittle her, but to, say, but to show how little we really know about that command. To be unequally yoked. You know what a yoke is? Not Y-O-L-K, that is eggs. But Y-O-K-E is that piece of wood that goes across uh, two oxen that is intended to keep them together and each pulling an equal load. And if you have one oxen that's stronger than another, he's going to be, in essence, having to pull his, the other share of the weight. So that the burden that you're pulling, you also have a dead weight that you're dragging with this other ox if you're unequally yoked. Well, spiritually, we're told not to be yoked with an unbeliever or not to be bound together in any significant relationship where you are bound together, where you're uh, tied together in some sense. Certainly marriage applies. I think dating applies. Perhaps a business partnership would apply. But that unbeliever, if you are a Christian, is going to be uh, a drag, in a very literal sense, on your spiritual life. It will be a hindrance. And so the Christian is told not to be unequally yoked, not to have any significantly close relationship with an unbeliever. 
Now, having said that, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that the Bible says that we need to all be monks and nuns and live in seclusion on Christian island and wait for Jesus to come back. It's not at all what it's saying. We are to have Christian friends. In fact, we're commanded to have Christian friends. Paul says that, like the, that he became like a Jew to win the Jew. He said he became like a Greek to win the Greek. We here play secular songs, show film clips, and meet in an unthreatening place, dress in an unthreatening manner in order to win our community. And yet at the same time, while we, by God's grace, try to be as shrewd as serpents in the manner in which we present the truth, it's still the truth we present. And we're not willing to compromise. While we're shrewd as serpents, we're also innocent as doves, just like the Lord commanded. Jesus also said this, John 17, he prayed this, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Have you ever wondered, you go up to Red Lobster or something, how you can eat a fish that came from the ocean and yet the fish doesn't taste salty? It's because while the fish is in the ocean, he's not of it. The same way a Christian can live in the world and not have the character of the world to be in the world but not of it. The character quality is to be that of Jesus. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. Not to take the yoke of an unbeliever on you. If you look in the history of the Bible and God's people, he told them on a couple of occasions, a couple of real popular ones, is when Israel conquered the land, he told them, you better drive everybody out, all the unbelievers out when you get there, otherwise you're going to mix with them and you're going to compromise. That's exactly what happened when they didn't drive him out. He told Solomon in the law, he says, don't you marry an unbelieving wife. That's exactly what he did several times over. And his uh, idolatrous wives led Solomon into idolatry. To be yoked together, to be bonded together with an unbeliever uh, is a dangerous thing because it can cause you, your personal purity, to be tainted. And I, I didn't really hold to this when I was young, young, uh, I'm young, when I was younger, when, uh, uh, when I was a kid growing up, and the girls that I would date, you know, if they're Christian, hey, great, you know, so I get to see her in church too. If you're not a Christian, well, you know, shoot, I get to invite her to church. And I would look at opportunities like that, I would think I was being shrewd by dating an unbeliever. Turns out the influence that they had on my life was anything but shrewd and a benefit. It was more shrewd for evil. I had a lot more confidence in myself than God had in me when he gives me the command, don't you be bound together like that. And dating, because dating leads to marriage and certainly in marriage, because that unbelieving spouse will be a drag on your spiritual life. You say, well, wait a minute. So am I not supposed, if I'm married to an unbeliever, am I supposed to divorce them? No. That's not what it's saying. I'm not saying that you're supposed to get out of that because you, look, the Bible says don't be unequally yoked and I'm unequally yoked. Don't get into that relationship. Very clearly we're told in 1 Peter 3, if you're married to an unbeliever, uh, and also 1 Corinthians 7, you're married to an unbeliever, you know, you're supposed to stay in that relationship because the Lord will use you. But don't get into it if you are wise initially. There's a poem that goes, All the water in the world, however hard it tried, could never sink a sailing ship unless it gets inside. 
That's the way we are to be. While we are shrewd, just like the Lord Jesus says, in dealing with the world. You know, when you leave a tract, maybe, a gospel tract, that gives the information at a restaurant, information about how to come to know the Lord. Leave a $10 bill in that thing. You don't think the waitress would read it? You leave it there all by itself with a couple of bucks? What do you think she's going to do? Be shrewd. It's a way to be shrewd. Jesus says that people of this world are more shrewd with their own than we are in dealing with people. We should be shrewd with the world that they might come to know the Lord. One of the reasons, like I said, that we have this ministry here, the whole reason it was started is that we might in a shrewd way reach out to the Denton community. But as you're doing that, and look for ways to do it, look for ways to be shrewd, look for ways to include the Lord in your conversations. As you're shrewd, do not get so close that you begin to compromise. A king in the Old Testament got his hand slapped when he tried to do that one time. Samuel, the old prophet, told this King Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. That translates to us, don't think that because you get to share Jesus that it's okay for you to compromise. It's okay for you to sin. Well, if I go into this strip joint, I'll get to share about the Lord Jesus. Well, yeah, if you ever get around to it, you will. (laughs) Don't think you can compromise for a greater good. Sin does not justify bringing somebody to Christ. God is not limited. God doesn't need our assistance in that way. To obey is better than to sacrifice. So, as you're shrewd, shrewd as serpents, also be innocent as doves. The balance sometimes is hard, but it can be done.